We're going to go ahead and uh, look into God's Word. So uh, this week we're going to look at the text that's found in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, speaking about supernatural love. Next week we will get back into uh, the Minor Prophets as the Lord leads. We'll see how this, how this works. But if you turn in your Bibles uh, with me to 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, starting verse 7 and then also in verse 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. John the Apostle comes to us, one of these letters that he has written, he has written five books in the New Testament, he writes to us about this all-encompassing subject of love. There are so many things that could be talked about in the scriptures, and yet the scripture so emphatically talks about love, and it does it in a continuous way. If there was ever a description of Christianity and what Christianity is really about, it's found in this first phrase, it's found in the beginning part here of verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another. When Christ has uh, saved us, he has brought us into a community. This is why this, this whole notion of just coming to a Sunday morning service is so foreign to the scriptures. They, the writers of scripture would look at us in bewilderment, if we thought or we expressed that Christianity was simply coming to a building once or even twice a week. No, in John's mind, when we get saved, it's about coming into a relationship with the Lord, but it's also coming into a, into a real relationship with other people. Real relationships. People from all different walks of life. It's not as if we give up perhaps our profession or what we do in life, but there is this heartbeat now that's within us that says, I've got to be with Christians. I love Christians. So there's a desire within the workplace. It's not that we go into work and we say, you know what, we have decided now we are a Christian and we have decided to quit our job. And uh, we've uh, decided to somehow or simply join some club where we all get together and we just trust God that he's going to provide for our needs and really we're going to just sit around and, and do nothing. No, no. We, we keep our jobs. We keep our lives. But now we have a new heart. And the friends that we used to have, all of a sudden we begin to think, we say, to ourselves, these don't seem like the kind of friends anymore that I need to be keeping. All of a sudden, the, the people that we find our hearts knit with are other Christians, and we say we want to see you more than just at a service, but we want to get to know you. We want to do life together uh, through all of the ups and the downs of life. And the Lord can establish this kind of community anywhere in the earth. 
All that is needed is the Bible and the Spirit of God. Sometimes we think if we could only get back to a certain era of time, we could only get back to a certain era when God was really moving and be a part of that, that would be truly exciting. I've mentioned many times in my life in preaching, but in the early years of when I was born and then raised, being raised in this Jesus movement, and the deep sense of community, and a sense of a deep sense of fellowship and love for one another it wasn't just about going somewhere, but it was about getting to know one another. It was about fellowshipping with one another and, and longing to see other people come to Christ, going to one another's homes. And this whole deal of visiting other churches. One of the senses that I got where there were there are many churches where people just come in, they walk in, so disconnected. Then they walk out, so disconnected. And I thought to myself, this is this isn't Christianity. This isn't this isn't what the the Bible is talking about. In fact, if I was a young person raised in the church, and that's all the church was, was I come in and I go out, barely know anybody, but I'm told this is what I need to do every Sunday morning for some reason. That's what we do. Oh, yeah, church is very important. But if that's all that that was, I can see why many young people, why many children are growing up and they're saying, What's the point of all of this? I, I, don't, I don't need that. But when Christ comes in and when he saves us, he puts us amongst a people, an imperfect people, a people with all sorts of sins, a people with all sorts of ups and downs. And sometimes we can think to ourselves, well, perhaps if I simply move to that area of the country, it's, it's more alive there, and I would be happier in a church like that. Perhaps if I moved halfway around the country or halfway around the world, I heard that God is moving somewhere else. Perhaps that would be more exciting there. And yet the Lord has called all of us, every person that is seated in this room, he's called us here. He's called us to get to know each other here, he's called us from all different walks of life, all different backgrounds. Many of us would not even become friends if it wasn't for church. Some of us would say about other people, well, that kind of person is nice, but they're really not the kind of person that I would normally hang around with. And yet the Lord, by his power and by his spirit, always brings... Wherever there is this being preached, wherever the word of God is being clearly taught and clearly preached, wherever the spirit of God is moving, he begins to form a people that not only love him in truth, but love each other in truth and begin to walk in love. And so the apostle says to us, Beloved, loved ones. Let us love one another. 
So that is a description of Christianity. It is genuine and real community. Yet we need to make a vital distinction here because it goes on to say, it not only tells us to love one another, but it says, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And so it says here, love is from God, and we need to ask ourselves the question, don't other people who don't know God, don't they love? I mean, here it seems to be very clear that God sends his love into the lives of Christians and that love is from God. And yet perhaps many people would look around and they would say, but I can go into all sorts of different places. I've met a lot of non-Christians who seem to love. So is love really only from God? Is it really only for Christians? What about, um, what about the Muslim mother, who is definitely not a, a Christian? Does she really love her baby? See, if we're looking at this text and we're saying that love comes from God and that's the true God, we've got to ask ourselves, do other people actually love? What about people who are in atheist families and they have family get-togethers and they hug each other and they have interaction with one another. They give gifts to each other. They love each other. So the question is, what is, what is John getting at? Is he saying that only Christians love? We, we look around to the workplaces, to the places of play that we go, and we see all sorts of people who seem to have some kind of affection or some kind of love for each other. In fact, we could say that love includes our inward affections, our inward desires. When you love somebody, you say, I really love them from the heart. I, I want to be with them. I like them. In other words, there's a, there's a heart that goes out to a person or to a group of individuals that says, this isn't only outward, but it's inward. I really love you. I have a, a heart for you. But it's also outward expression. And so in the Bible, we have both. We have this inward thing that is going on. And sometimes we've heard it said that in Christianity, it's only about the outward, what you do. Well, that's true. Um, when we love people, we do things for them. We serve them. We're, we're kind to them. But can you imagine two people getting married? And both of them say to each other, I really have no heart or desire for you. I'm just doing this because it's my sacrificial duty. It's not real love. I was joking around with one of my daughters this week that if somebody offered me perhaps three camels and a couple of donkeys, that I would give her away in marriage. I said, maybe if you pitch in an extra donkey. It'll work. I really went to school years ago in college uh, with a, a young woman who was in a military family, and she was uh, stationed in the Middle East. 
uh, her dad was, and uh, there was somebody who actually had offered her dad camels and donkeys and so forth in order to, to marry her. And I remember getting a laugh out of that. That is so foreign to our way of thinking. Love is uh, not simply transactional. It's not simply going through the motions. And sometimes we have to. We have to go through the motions and we have to do the right thing even when we don't feel like it. You say, Lord, I I don't feel like loving from the heart. It's not there. And so we can say, well, then we must not love. Or we can say, Lord, give me the kind of love that you want to give me. Lord, there's something wrong with my heart. Open up my heart so I have the affections that you, that you want me to have. Lord, you're not just calling me to be a robot walking around just trying to do things out of drudgery and because you've said so. But sometimes we have to obey even when we don't feel like it. Lord, just keep me going. Lord, help me. And we pray in those moments. Sometimes we have the feelings of affection. And uh, there are deep-rooted love motivations, but we struggle in the action area. And we have to say to ourselves, Lord, help us get moving. Lord, I have a love for the lost, for instance, but Lord, it's really there. I have a beating heart for the lost. Lord, I want to see other people come to Jesus. But Lord, help me to actually put that into action. Lord, help me not to just say, that's what I, that's what I really want. It's really there. But Lord, how, how am I to reach somebody who doesn't know Jesus? Who is it in this community? Who is it in even my own family that doesn't, that doesn't know you? So it's both. It's both our inward affections and our outward expressions. But John here seems to be making a distinction between perhaps love as we see it in the world and the love of God. What some people have taught us is that there's this special word, and perhaps you have heard this yourself, there's this special word called agape. Agape. That God's love is a special agape love. And yes, there are other kinds of love, but it's this special agape love, this unique love that is God's love. And so if you want to be a good Christian, you have to have agape love. By the way, there are other um, Greek words for uh, different kinds of love. There's storge love, which is uh, a family kind of love. There's Eros, which is an erotic love, or phileo, which is uh, a brotherly love. In fact, we get the uh, name Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. But what some people have said is that you need, if you want to love like God, you need to have this kind of agape love. And there's been confusion about this. Because people learn, okay, I need agape love. This is what I need. I guess I need a Greek word to understand what it means to truly be a loving Christian. And so little Johnny goes home and uh, mom or dad says, what did you learn today down in children's church? And they say, well, I learned that I need to love like God loves. And they taught me this word, agape. 
agape love. Say the little Johnny or little Timmy, little Tony. I guess they're all boys in this family. So what is agape love? I don't know. And how is it how is it different than any other love in the world? Isn't the atheist family, don't they have love? And we see families all around us. We know non-Christians that seem to have love for one another. Little Timmy or little Joey goes, I, I really don't know. I just know we're supposed to have agape love. That's, that's all I know. Is that really what this is about, trying to learn a Greek word so that we then go home and just say, well, I think this is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to love with agape love. We don't really know what it means, and we surely don't know how it's distinguished from any other kind of love. It's interesting, in the Bible, the word agape is never indicated to be this special kind of God's love. You'll never find that anywhere in the scriptures. It's not in there. In fact, D.A. Carson writes, he says, in 2 Samuel chapter 13 in the Septuagint, that's the Greek translation of the Old Testament, he says uh, both agapeo, that is to love, and the cognate, that is a, a similar word coming from the same root, agape, so he says agapeo and agape. These words can actually refer to Amnon's incestuous rape of his half-sister Tamar in 2 Samuel chapter 13, verse 15. So if God's love is agape or any of the similar words, how are we to read that text in 2 Samuel 13 where Amnon raped his half-sister? He goes on to say, my only point here is, is that there is nothing intrinsic to the verb agapeo or the noun agape to prove the real or the real meaning or hidden meaning refers to some kind of special love. We hear this all the time. Agape love is some special kind of love. And again, we hear this word over and over again, agape love, agape love. Well, it's definitely a kind of love, and there is distinctions between that and other kinds of love that were in Greek and Greece. But it, is it uniquely God's love? Absolutely not. So this verb, this word is used for this. Why don't you flip with me to First John chapter 2. First John chapter 2. Verse 15. First John chapter 2, verse 15 says this. This isn't referring to Christianity at all. First John chapter 2, verse 15. Do not agapete, that is, do not love the world. Here's another example in the same book. Or the things in the world. If anyone agapa, if anyone loves the world, the agape, the love of the Father, is not in him. So here we have this interchange of love for the world and also a love from God. Same words are, are being used interchangeably in this text. Look at Luke chapter 6, verse 32. Luke chapter 6, if you flip over there. Luke chapter 
6, verse 32. Chapter 6, verse 32. If you love those who love you, these are all cognates of agape. What benefit is that to you? Here it is again. For even sinners, that is non-Christians, love. Agapo sin. Coming from the same word. Even sinners love those who love them. So this whole, this whole notion of what we've got to understand is this special kind of love that comes from this specific kind of word. That's not what we find in the text of Scripture. What we do have in the text of Scripture is a distinction. We have a distinction between the sources of love and the state of love. Recently I was watching a, um, a cooking show. And this man was a professional chef, and his job was to go into these rundown restaurants and basically criticize everything that was going on in the restaurant and help turn it around. And he went into this one restaurant, and it was filthy. There were flies flying around. There were maggots in the food in the back kitchen. I remember... A uh, professor telling us that when you walk into a restaurant, one of the ways you can check if the place is going to be good is going to the bathrooms. And uh, that's a good indicator. Going to a place in the bathrooms, a royal mess. You probably don't want to be eating food from the kitchen. And, uh, in fact, there have been restaurants that we have walked into and you can actually kind of see into the kitchen. You have second thoughts about what you're actually eating. But it was um, it was a mess that this chef walked into. It was filthy. The kitchen was filthy. And the food was literally rotting. Got this tomato on his plate, and he turned it over, and it looked like it had been rotting with mold on it for weeks. The food was burnt and overcooked. But it came from a kitchen, and it was food. And then at the end of the show, he, he took the chef, and he took the owner of this restaurant to his own restaurant. He took them back into the kitchen, and everything was pristine. The counters were wiped down. He says, listen, guys, he says, we do this every hour in our, in our restaurant. Everything was absolutely clean. The refrigerators were clean. The refrigerator in the other kitchen had been dripping some kind of water from the air conditioning down into the into the freezer, into the refrigerator, but not in his. It was it was immaculate. That old saying of you eat with your eyes is absolutely true. And so you had this immaculate kitchen and you had chefs that were clean and you had delicious fresh food, fresh vegetables, meat that was fresh and well-prepared and absolutely delicious, garnishes that looked appropriate. 
Both of them had kitchens. Both of them had a source. Both of them had food. The question was the state of the food. And this is the distinction that the scripture in 1 John gives us when it comes to love. The question that we need to be asking ourselves is not learning different Greek words. The question that we need to be asking ourselves is, what is the source of this love? And what is the state of this love? What kind of love is it? Because the world has love. But oftentimes in the world, the world's love is shallow and non-committed. It's here for a little bit, and then it flares out, and it is gone. You hear people talking about falling in and out of love all the time. You see this on TV. You see it being pumped out of Hollywood. There definitely is some kind of love that's going on, but it's, it's shallow. And as soon as the feelings leave, often, then the person says, well, This isn't for me any longer. I recently heard a pastor say that he believes, and I believe this is absolutely accurate, that couples fall in and out of love for their entire married life. See, when you're a Christian, it's not about your feelings. Feel great today? Tomorrow don't feel so great. Great six months, not so great six months. Great year, not so great year. We can say this about our children. Sometimes we say, most beautiful sight in the world. Come on, let's be honest for a second. And sometimes we're saying to ourselves, we're okay with not seeing. At least that is how it is in my house. I understand it's not like that in any other house in this church. For 98% of the houses in this church, it's flowers and bouquets of flowers and chocolates every morning. Every morning you roll over with your spouse and it's unfettered love. You wake up and you can't wait to see your children ever Listen, if that's, that's what we're chasing, we have really missed it. That's not what the love is that we're talking about. That's the love of the world. You see, well, we see the world loves. Oh, yes, they love. That's true. Let's get off the whole agape track and let's get off of talking about nobody loves in the world out there. They're all mean. Really? I've met lots of nice people at Turkey Hill. Okay. The love of the world is often, not always, but it's idolatrous love. It's filled with untouchables. You can't touch that. That's the one precious thing to me. The love of the world is often hopeless and desperate. You want to see something very sad? 
I'll show you a person who doesn't know Jesus mourning at a funeral. You think they love that person? Yeah, but it's a hopeless love. Oh, we'll never see them again. We'll never see them again. We'll never see them again. You ever listen to some of these love songs? Some love songs that are not written by Christian writers are beautiful and wonderful. But oftentimes you'll notice it's slightly off pitch when it comes to love. Oh, the voice might be beautiful, but you're listening to the message. And perhaps in the song there's a tinge of hopelessness, a tinge of despair. It's, it's, a, love that is, it's a love that's mixed with hopelessness. It's a love that is mixed with desperation. You're my only hope. And now you're gone. My life is ruined. How about perverted love? Perverse love. People that say, oh, we really love each other, but they're doing all sorts of things that are inappropriate, wrong. It's temporary love. In other words, what we could say about this kind of love, it's a love, but it's godless. It's deformed. It's impure. It's imperfect. It's a kind of love, but it's a maggot-filled love. It's a deformed love. It's an impure love. It's an imperfect love. I think this is perhaps why John says in 1 John chapter 4, if you Flip over there, 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. He says this, there is no fear in love, but perfect love. Now notice what he says there. He doesn't just say, but love. He says, but perfect love. Why? The world has a kind of love. And John is trying to help us to see the difference between an imperfect love, a love of the world that is not right and not righteous, an imperfect and impure, a deformed love. That's what John is setting this whole thing up for. He's saying this is an imperfect love. But then he comes over and he shows us the difference between that kind of love and a perfect love. And that's why he says it's not love that casts out all fear. He says there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love. That's the kind of love that casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected. There it is again, perfected in love. So you say, well, I see love. John wants us to see a contrast. The love of the world, this imperfect love, and the love of God. And that's why he says, if you go back to our text in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, and right behind that in verse 7, he says, for love is from God. He's not talking about every kind of love. For love is from God. What is he saying? He's saying there's a perfect love that comes from God. For love is from God. 
And whoever loves, not whoever loves in the world, people love each other in the world all the time. But whoever loves with this kind of love has been born of God and knows God. It's easy to love with an imperfect love. It is impossible to love with this kind of love, the love of God. What's the difference? First John chapter 1, the source is different. And the other kind of love, it's us. It's our human hearts. Even though we are stamped with the image of God, we have common grace. And out of a result of that, we have some form of love. And that's where we get this human kind of love. But this love of God is different. Its source is different. The kitchen is clean. The kitchen in this kind of love is pure. This is the kind of kitchen you want to be walking around in. You wipe your hand on the counter and all you can feel is the metal. No sticky stuff. No rotting food. Who's the source of this kind of love, this pure love? 1 John 1.5, this is the message. And we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Who's the source of this love? God. Walking in the light. I'm listening a lot to this song called, um, it's by a DC talk, it's an old song, about walking in the light. I want to be in the light as you are in the light. I want to shine like the stars in the heavens. See, the, the light of the world is not really a light. The love of the world is not really a true love. It's, it's a dark love. It's a hidden love. It's a deformed love. But the love of God comes from a pure source. God is light, and in the Greek, it's in him is no darkness. No way. No way. No hiddenness. No darkness. Not even, not even a hint. Not even a hint. You don't have to turn with me to these, but let me just read through these here. 1 John 1, 7, it's a cleansing love. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his, his son, cleanses us from all sin. It's a righteous love. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, beloved, we are God's children. Now and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see we shall see him as he is. And if you skip down to verse 7, chapter 3, verse 7, little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. It's a righteous love. It's a pure love. It's a genuinely warm love. How about in the beginning of our text when it says this, it calls us beloved. How, how warm is that when you have somebody called you loved one or love? It's a genuinely warm love. It's not despairing or depressing, but it's hope-filled. It lasts forever. It's not the world's love that's temporary. Faith, hope, and love, these three abide, but the greatest of these is love.
Love never ends. What kind of love is that? That's a love from God. It's word clinging. It loves this book. This is the kind of love that God is talking about. When he says, do you love? See, if all we had was a sermon that says, are you a loving person? Most of us all, and in this neighborhood, and we could take a survey out in all of Wilkes-Barre, people would say, I love. I love. Everyone thinks that they're a loving person. Everyone would say that they're loving, at least to some degree. But the question is, do you love the source of genuine love, that is God who is light? Have you been cleansed of your sins? You love righteousness, purity, genuine warmth, hope-filled love, not love that is despairing, lasting love, word-clinging love. Say to somebody, do you love? They say, oh, yes, I love. Do you love your Bible? Do you believe it? That's why 1 John chapter 5, verse 2 says this, By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God. Here it is, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. What kind of love is this? It's a word clinging love. You can ask people if they love, but do you love the word? And not just do you love it in theory. Do you, what John is saying here, do you obey it? It's a sacrificing love. It never sacrifices the truth, but it lays its life down. Listen to this. It lays its life down for the truth. So John ends our little text here. If you go back to 1 John 4, he's showing us the difference between the kind of love that's in the world, and he's giving us the difference between that and genuine love. The love is that that is from God. That's why he's saying this comes from God. Verse 7. But now he gives us, in conclusion, he gives us this distinguishing mark. He says, and anyone who does not love, He's not saying anyone who doesn't love in the world sense. He's saying anybody who doesn't love in this sense, God's sense, the things that we just talked about, doesn't love righteousness, doesn't love cleansing, doesn't love the word. He says anyone who does not love, does not know God, because God is love. God is this kind of love. And what John is saying is the believing one is marked by this kind of love. I think we could sum it up by saying in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, he says this. He says, what manner or what kind of love is this? What kind of love is this? Then he goes on to talk about that we should be called the children of God. So the question today that uh, the Lord has been stirring in my heart 
is him calling us to really love. Not to love with our own definitions, as we've talked about. We all do that. We said you can find some kind of love at Turkey Hill. John's not asking that question. When John says um, you can, you can, you can mark out that person by their love, he's talking about that love that comes from God. Imperfectly, but the person is saying, "Oh, oh, I want to know God." I want to walk in the light as he is in the light. I want to be righteous as he is righteous. I want to love other Christians with this kind of love. I understand that I've been called to a community of believers. It's this kind of love. And he says, if that person has that kind of love, I think of an old granny remember somebody telling me that this, there's this old lady that um, had died, and before she died, she read this over and over again, read books, couldn't get enough books, was warm, would pray with people, overlooked offenses, all those kind of things. That's genuine love. I want to be in the light as he is in the light. And John says if you have this kind of love, you can be assured that that person you can mark them out. You go, that person, no, they're not perfect. Just like, I'm not perfect. But man, they have this love for Jesus. They talk easily about Jesus. They want to talk about Jesus. They want to talk about God. They want to talk about the Word. They want to be with other Christians. They love other Christians. And John says, if you see a person like that, striving to obey the commandments of Jesus, you can know that that person has been born of God. That's what he said. They know God. They love God. They love his people. I want to end here in my third conclusion. He's simply saying there's, there's a lot of love here in this church. God has brought this little group together to do something for him. Oh, we might not go down in history. People probably won't remember as long after we're gone. But he's not called us to California, and he's not called many of us halfway around the world. Oh, some of us he might. We send them out with gladness. But he says, if you have this in my spirit, God says, I'm forming a community here because this is God's love. And whenever you have this and you have the Spirit of God, a community gets formed. That's what's happened here. And that's only going to grow as we say to ourselves, we need to be in this book and we need to love one another. Amen? Would you stand with me as we close? Father, we ask you that you would just fill us with your spirit. Lord, we're, we're thankful that we don't need to parse a Greek word and then leave confused in order to understand what you're trying to get across to us.
what you're trying to get across to us is that we need to have a love that's not like the world's love. A supernatural love. A love that flows from heaven into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Wait on you, Lord.